This episode of the Hubcast is brought to you by Servikit. From website optimization and customer satisfaction surveys to complex customer insight processes integrated with your email campaigns, Servikit's got you covered. Learn more at servikit.com slash hubcast. And welcome back. Welcome back to the cast. That was my best Marcus Sheridan impression. We don't know where Marcus is this week, but that's okay because I am excited to introduce our Hubcast listeners to the one, the only, Nick, Nikki B. Bennett. Nick, welcome. Thanks for joining me. What is up, Karina? Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Nick is one of Impact's other resident HubSpot nerds, which is why I brought him in today. Nick, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about who you are, what you do at Impact, what you've been up to recently? Yeah, cool. So I'm an account executive by title at Impact, but I wear a few hats, right? I I do that, but I also am a fellow HubSpot certified trainer. Yeah. So yeah, super pumped on that. Love. That is my favorite aspect of what I get to do every day. But so I I get to help clients realize like their potential within HubSpot and inbound every single day, which is super awesome. Heck yeah. Nick is one of those people that just gets fired up and his clients just love working with him. What I'm really excited about is Nick and I have started to work much more closely together as of late because I am kind of starting up and we are starting up really some, some specialized roles at Impact. And one of those is in the HubSpot specialist role. So we have people across the Impact organization that are really diving deep into HubSpot like I have been um, that get really excited about knowing and learning the tools and being technical experts in the tools. Not only that, but also get excited about training people and educating other people on how to use the tools and get the most out of the tools. So we're super excited to be on the Hub Squad, which I'm affectionately calling it. We have a team of just real HubSpot geeks here at Impact that you're probably over the next couple of months going to hear from um, on the Hubcast because there's going to be just a lot of HubSpotting going on over here. And I cannot wait to get it rolling here. Well, we all have big shoes to fill uh, trying, to, trying to be the Marcus. Yes. Be. In, this, in these moments to channel yes. our inner Marcus Sheridan. So hopefully exactly. we can do it. Exactly. All right, let's jump in here with our property of the week. So we're continuing our field type series. We're talking about various different field types that we can create when we're creating custom contact properties, not just what we can do with them, but why they're so important. And I've actually been talking to a lot of people about this recently. It's come up in a lot of different scenarios. So this week, the field type that we're talking about is single checkbox and multiple checkboxes. So Nick, why don't you read off our definitions here? It's a pretty sophisticated definition for a checkbox. But so what it does is we have two types. We have single checkbox and multiple checkboxes. 
Single checkbox, what it does, it gives you the option. It stores two options, on or off. Often used if you need a property value that is strictly true or false. In forms, they appear as a single checkbox. There like, you go. they nailed it. Yeah. What a definition. What I think the best thing about these is like when it goes into forms, you find like I find two hidden gems with this. One is using them as hidden fields. A lot of times my clients will use them as triggers. If this form is filled out, it automatically applies the check to the box to enroll them in certain lists or just identify certain properties about the contact. I love that you said that because that's something that I don't think we've talked about at least any time recently is hidden form fields. This is a real like HubSpot hack that you can do and what Nick mentioned with, you know, if somebody, and I was, I was just talking about this with somebody today that, you know, they have a form that if somebody fills it out, they don't want that person checking off the box, but if somebody fills it out, it automatically means they should be marked as a member of this organization. And so we're adding a hidden single checkbox field that's automatically checked off. So when they submit it, their single checkbox membership field gets marked as yes. And that's really the single checkbox is your yes, no field. If you want a contact property that's either going to be a yes or a no or a true or false, that the single checkbox is your field. Don't create a drop down field that is has the option yes or the option no use a single checkbox even if you're not going to have it in forms this is going to be the easiest way to just have a yes no field let's uh let's jump into multiple checkboxes and why it's important to know the difference so multiple checkboxes stores checkboxes that contain several usually related options with a maximum of a thousand options, which is an outrageous amount of options. And I can't imagine. How do you give me that many? That's too much. It's yeah. I, I'm not really sure why you would ever have a thousand options. You definitely wouldn't if you were showing this like on a form. But you know, a lot of times maybe fifty options with you know things like if there's like an interest, like a interest category or things like that could have a lot of different options that you want to be able to mark and, and mark for multiple people. Um, each option has a maximum of 3000 <laughs> characters. So if the first thing wasn't, option. if that wasn't outrageous enough, a 3000 character field. Yeah. How, I don't think we've ever put 3000 characters in one field, like one. Form I know. I, I learned something. I learned something completely new with this one, which is that you can do a thousand options and up to 3000 characters. But the important thing to note with multiple checkboxes as a field type is that people can select multiple options here. So whether it's on a form and you want to allow people to select multiple of your options or whether it's just something that's going to be updated internally, the thing that you want to think about is this versus like a drop down or a radio select where you can only select one. So for example, if you have an industry contact property, for the most part, somebody is just going to want to have one industry. If we give them multiple checkboxes, they may get confused and be like, should I be checking more than one thing? Or you may get some weird data there. Um, versus just using a drop down or a radio select, which only allows them to select one. 
The great thing still about multiple checkboxes is even though they can select multiple, those are all going to get essentially marked as like separate little items in that contact property. And so you can still like filter by that property and, and you're still going to have a set number of options there. People are just going to be able to select more than one. A way I've seen this used, which is I love, and you talk a lot about this is for like lead nurturing. And what happens is if with you, when you can select multiple checkboxes, now you can say, this is what the contact is interested in and you can help segment your list that way. Yeah. You can really kind of customize things and say, okay, I'm only going to send this email blast or this nurture sequence to people that have said that they're interested in X or X and Y or X, Y, and Z. Um, and you can get really kind of granular with some of those things. I love talking about these field types. I think that it's super interesting and it's something that honestly, like if you are creating a field type and you're thinking about using just like a single line text field, be very, very careful and think long and hard about it because <laughs> you really can't go back. And if you want to use that field for things like segmentation, like even something like job title, um, you know, that's not, we're not going to use a checkbox for that, obviously. But if you're thinking about doing a single line text, but you really are wanting to target or segment by specific job titles, you may want to give somebody a drop down of individual job titles that you're trying to target and then allow them to select other if there's something like that. Like these are things that we really have to think long and hard about. And I think sometimes we don't and it gets us in trouble and we have to clean it up later on. Those are some of the things that I get fired up about. I'm so fired up with you because I just dealt with almost this exact same thing. I was helping a client identify their form logic and we use the checkbox to say if the in the dependent field. So if the checkbox is filled, if it's yes or checked, then present a new field that may, becomes required because if this is true, then we need to collect this other information about you. So it'd be like, if you're, if you are a solopreneur versus you have employees on your team, we need to know how many employees are on your team. So based on them checking the box and exactly. it just got us pumped because we're like, we finally have a way to collect the, the proper information from our exactly. prospects. Heck yeah. Yeah. Doing things with dependent form fields. Oh, that's the good stuff. I have some other stuff on my mind this week. I've got custom reporting on my mind and, and we've talked about this in episodes past and we've had Jory Monroe on the cast talking about some of these things uh, from HubSpot Academy. And I was actually at HubSpot HQ last week and I was talking with Jory and doing some uh, recording with HubSpot Academy on custom reporting. And what really got me thinking was, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there that are just using HubSpot for marketing. Like their, their sales team is on something else. Maybe they're on Salesforce. Maybe they're on something that doesn't integrate really with HubSpot at all without something super custom. Um, and they're just using HubSpot for their marketing. They're getting all of their marketing metrics and they're passing off their leads to the sales team, but that's really it. And I've, I've interacted with a lot of people that are kind of in that, in that position, people that are on a marketing team that are like, okay, well, well, we can show our return on investment 
based on how many leads, you know, how much traffic and how many leads we generate and then how many leads we pass up the sales, but that's really where their reporting ends. And that's really where they're like, well, we can't report on revenue in HubSpot because we're not, our sales team isn't using HubSpot and we're not tracking deals in HubSpot. If you're one of those companies that's not using, that's only using HubSpot for marketing, that's not using it to track revenue or track your deals, I'm here to tell you that all hope is not lost for doing kind of this full circle reporting and tying revenue back to your marketing efforts. Something that I've recently been working on with some clients is importing deals into HubSpot and importing multiple objects into HubSpot with associations. What this allows you to do is it allows you to bring in revenue information. So as long as you can export deal information from whatever other system that you're using, as long as you can get it into a spreadsheet with line by line individual deals with the amount that that deal is and some kind of information, whether it's company name and domain, whether it's a contact name and an email, something, we can bring that into HubSpot we can associate that with contacts and then we can report on contacts and deals together with our cross object reporting. And we can actually tie revenue back to these marketing activities that we talk about all the time, like first conversion, like what somebody downloaded, you know, downloading an individual offer or an individual blog post or piece of content that we're creating how many people who viewed that actually converted into deals, things like that. Like we can do that stuff even if we're only using the marketing tools by importing these things into HubSpot. And it's actually not that hard. If you look up in the knowledge docs uh, about importing multiple objects with associations, it takes a little bit of spreadsheeting and making sure that you're exporting the right data from your CRM or wherever you're tracking your deals but once you have that set up, you can have a template that you can do regular imports of your deals and you can really start tracking this revenue. I will tell you the easiest way to do it and then I'm gonna stop talking because I'm getting so fired up about this. The easiest way to do it is if you can have an individual's email address associated with an individual deal. That way you can bring it in and automatically associate it with a contact. If you just have something like a company name, you're gonna to have to do a bit of a roundabout work around for it, but you can still do it. And this is getting me really excited because ultimately if you're using this, this HubSpot tool to generate traffic and generate leads, but you can't prove that what you're doing is actually turning into revenue, then at some point somebody's going to be like, Hey, it's great that you're doing all of this, but is it actually, is it actually, you know, bringing us the bank? And if you can't prove that, or if you can prove that, it's going to be so much more meaningful and so much more impactful. Nick, do you have any you have any thoughts on that? Now, this is the nitty gritty. Like this is these are the little tiny things that some that someone can do to take their inbound and like their hub spotting from just like we do it. We're we we do it. It's something that we love to taking it from that moment to like their CEO is like, that was the reason we decided that we wanted to be an inbound organization. 
because you can circle it back that full funnel that it's full circle reporting especially you like one man band marketing teams that are working your butts off and you're creating content and you're doing they ask you answer and you're seeing how other companies have you know said things like and you've heard marcus talk about you know he contributes like millions of dollars in revenue back to his fiberglass pool cost articles in the ways that you do that and i think a lot of people just immediately think okay well if my sales team isn't tracking our deals in hubspot then it's really you know it's too complicated or it's not very easy to do or we have to take everything out of HubSpot and try to do something in a crazy Excel spreadsheet. There's so many options for getting that data into HubSpot and doing some of that reporting. And as I've started to help people do that, it's so exciting because their marketers are able to be like, I wrote this article and somebody looked at this article and then they filled out the contact form and then they converted into thousands and thousands of dollars in revenue. Um, and to be able to bring that to your higher ups and say, look at, look at this, um, is not only going to essentially justify what you're doing, but also potentially help grow your team, help get buy-in from higher ups on inbound. Like there's so many ripple effects of this that just get me so excited. If you have questions on this, I obviously get very fired up about it. So if you have questions or you're wanting to do this and you are not sure how, or you're scared shoot me an email. You know what it is. It's cduffy at impactbndboynancydog.com. I get, I get, I'm so pumped. So feel how free long, to hit me up. How long does it take? A average, like roundabout. How long would it take for someone to build the sheet, upload it, and just see it? Once you've, once you've exported the data out of HubSpot, if you have, if you can have it associated with an individual email address, it's probably going to take you about 10 minutes just to make sure that the spreadsheet is set up properly and that you have everything in there that you need. Um, but really it's, it's quick and easy. Doing the import is quick and easy. Um, 10 and, minutes to change, to change yeah. your business. 10 minutes to prove the ROI that we all want to prove. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the most difficult thing for most people is getting that export of whatever system they're using to track deals. Um, you know, sometimes that's like, if you're, if your you know, business is old school or if it's very small, like there may not even be a system that can true. export things like that. So, so a lot of times that's the hardest thing is actually getting that data into the spreadsheet. But if you can, you can bring it into HubSpot and you can report on it. It's awesome. Speaking of awesome, this episode is brought to you by Servikit. Servikit allows you to actively collect customer feedback. And customer feedback is a great companion to inbound marketing activities, to inbound sales activities, to being an inbound organization. Not just collecting that feedback, but acting on that feedback that you collected can help companies decrease things like customer churn, increase activation, and provide world-class customer experience. And the best part, you can use brief and targeted surveys across the entire customer journey and make them an integral part of the experience with your brand. The times of sending one annual customer survey that takes 30 minutes to complete are gone. 
for good. Thank you, Servicate, for that. We're going to talk more about these guys in upcoming episodes. I'm really excited. They have a really cool HubSpot integration. We're going to talk more about the integration and what makes them different um, from something like some of the feedback surveys that you can do in the service hub. But a little sneak peek on that is you can really get a lot more granular and you can get a lot more custom with things like collecting feedback and NPS and you can do things like embed surveys into emails, which is really awesome. We're going to talk more about them, about them in upcoming episodes, but you can learn more and try it for free right now at servicate.com slash hubcast. And if you go to servicate.com slash hubcast and you end up signing up for any, uh, for their paid professional plan, you're actually going to get 30% off of your first three months. So head on over there. The pro plan is the most popular choice among HubSpot users. Servicate, thank you for your support of the show. Thank you, Servicate. Yes. I got a wish list item and I'm excited about this wish list item because this is something that Nick and I were working on together this week and we we're like, we wish HubSpot did this. And there was already a HubSpot idea. Nick, why don't you give us this one? All right. So here's where we're at. Handling inbound or incoming calls with HubSpot. So someone submitted this idea and uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to tell you what it is in full. Ready? So it says we currently have the ability to use services like Aircall to handle inbound calls, which is not ideal considering we use HubSpot for everything. So when you do outbound calling from HubSpot, it would also make sense to be able to handle the inbound calls and get them properly tracked and recorded. So that's, that's huge, but that's a massive undertaking too. Yeah. What is, what is that? How do you, how, how does somebody, that's a, the whole VOI piece like integration, everything like that. That's a big ask, but I'm in. Like, I want this because that takes Service Hub from like fantastic to just untouchable. Yeah. And I think that you bring up a really interesting point, which is like something that I know nothing about, which is, you know, how calling actually works in the back end and what it would mean to build out an incoming call functionality. Um, and I think that, you know, services like Aircall give us like, they give us a lot more than just inbound calling. And so what I don't mean, I mean, maybe I'm supposed to just buy air call that, that would be awesome. That's also that's a whole other thing. Guess. And I have no, like I have, you know, let's I put that on the wish list that I can't, but you know, I think that there's a, there's a lot more that, that a service like air call does um, you know, in terms of doing things like analytics and, and there's a lot of stuff that we've actually talked about in the past, um, on past episodes, but really I think for, especially kind of these, these small organizations who are maybe just using the sales or the services tools, um, to be able to receive inbound calls would be just kind of a game changer for them. Um, to even just be able to kind of automatically log those calls without having to have an additional service. Um, and then as you grow, you're likely going to need a more robust calling service, but even to just have kind of some of that basic functionality, um, I think would be, you know, to have a phone number that would go straight into HubSpot could be 
pretty, uh, pretty cool. But again, and I think Nick, you appreciate a lot more like what would actually go into that versus I'm kind of like, oh, that'd be super cool. <laughs> it, I see the biggest win for like the services and the tickets. Like when someone calls into your customer service helpline, especially as a small team, you want to be able to look back on those calls and say like, how can we improve that experience for our customer? And managing multiple tools is not ideal. So it's like, if we could all live in HubSpot, I think we'd all, I think we'd all be that much happier. Yeah. But, so I love yeah. this. I love this wish list item. I'm going to put it, I'm going to put it on the, the, the maybe column. Yeah. This may happen. And I will tell you that in the meantime, if this is really important for you, AirCall is awesome. And their integration with HubSpot is awesome. So like if you're using AirCall, it'll automatically pull up HubSpot and the contact record for any incoming call that is coming into AirCall. So, uh, you know, that functionality exists in general, um, but just not straight up within the HubSpot platform. All right, let's wrap things up here with a couple of HubSpot updates. They've picked things up here in the last couple of weeks. So we actually have four brand new updates this week. And inside those updates are even smaller updates. Yes. So here we go. All right, so update number one, quickly create topics and subtopics directly from the content editor. So what does that mean, right? So it gives you the ability to expedite the process of creating and editing your topics while creating content inside the SEO panel of the content editor. And then you can create new sub new topics and subtopic keywords, as well as edit the assigned topic or subtopic keyword directly. Karina, what did I just read? What did we just hear? <laughs> Basically up until this point, you couldn't really, you couldn't edit topics and subtopics within like if you were creating a blog post or website page and you're wanting to associate it with the SEO tool with one of your topics and subtopics you could you could associate it but that was all you could do now you can like actually create and edit those things right within your little SEO optimization panel on your page editor. So kind of just a, a little feature update for you to make things much easier so you don't have to go back and forth from your page editor to the SEO tool and update those topics and reload your page and all that stuff. It's nice. 1% less friction every day. Yes. That's the move. Yes. All right, all right, update number two. Update number two, two changes to scoring, including multiple score properties. So we're talking about scoring your Scoring in your HubScout account is about to get two major upgrades. So this is update within an update, ready? So first is the HubSpot score is, is now a contact property. It lives separately from all the rest of your contact properties. What that means is that it's, it's in its own walled garden. That's such, like a, how they word such it. a majestic place <laughs> yeah. for a contact property to be. Yeah. Um, so with the changes that are coming through, your score now lives with the rest of your properties. Now, score itself is its own property type, just like a dropdown or a checkbox, a radio select or anything else. So what does you that know, mean? What does that give us? I wonder if they just knew about our field type series and they're like, let's create a new field type for Karina to talk about. So we are going to talk about this in future episodes. But basically, HubSpot score, which was your lead score, was always technically a contact property, but you edited it, you edited it in a different tool. So now it's just in contact properties. 
and you can find it. Like you're not going to have it as a separate tool. If you go to HubSpot score in your contact properties and you can go in there and you can edit the lead scoring criteria right within the properties editor. And it's, it's a type. So now you can have, if I'm understanding HubSpot correctly. Yeah. Read the next update within yeah. the update. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. So update number two of update number two is, so because of this change, enterprise customers in any HubSpot hub, you can create up to 25 scoring properties for contacts. So as this bonus, if you're a professional customer in any HubSpot hub, you'll also be able to create one score property. Previously, only marketing hub professionals could do this. So that means that enterprise customers can use, can create 25 different types of scores for their, for their contacts. Whereas pro, you'll get your one. Yeah. So if you're on any of the pro levels, but now if you're not just on marketing pro, if you're on sales pro or service pro, you'll, you'll get one. And if you have all three pro level, like marketing sales and service, you still just get one. Um, but you get that one. So nothing's really changed if you're just on marketing pro, but if you're on enterprise, any of the enterprise tools, you'll get 25 different scoring properties and those scoring properties the, the scoring is exactly the same as the old lead scoring tool. So how you score people hasn't changed, but now you can create multiple different properties. Think like maybe I want to give somebody a demographic score versus a behavioral or an engagement score, things like that. And we're actually going to dive into this next week because this is going to be our, our field type property of the week. Um, so if you're getting excited about that, just wait until next episode. I don't know if I can wait, but we'll have to. You'll have to. All right, cool. Update number three, save time by cloning dashboards. So previously you could create or creating slight variations within a dashboard would require creating a brand new dashboard and then recreating each report piece by piece. So with today's update, you can clone an entire dashboard with one click. Boom. Yup. Pretty much it. Yeah, if you go to any of your dashboards and you go up in the top right and hit actions, there's now a clone dashboard button. This is really helpful. I found like a lot of times like sales teams, they'll all basically have the same dashboard, but each each rep will have a different dashboard that's just filtered by their, um, sorry, by that's their, just, yeah, filtered by their deals deal owner. Yeah. So like they're the deal owner versus another rep's the deal owner. And you used to just have to like build all of these things, like all of these dashboards from scratch. Now you can clone the dashboard. That's awesome. So you can set it up once you can clone it and then slightly adjust it based on whoever's dashboard it is, which is just so nice. Removing the tedious tasks within HubSpot one update at a time. Yes. All right. Update number four. Part one, ready? So changes are coming to content partitioning. So update number one. What, let's wait, before we even do this, let's talk about what is content partitioning. Karina, what is content partitioning? Content, content, partitioning is the ability to essentially segment out your content within HubSpot and only give access to certain people. So you're able to say like, if I don't want, 
you know, certain people to be able to access this domain, or I don't want certain people to be able to access, you know, and be able to edit like individual blog posts. Uh, but they're, you know, I want them to be able to edit certain other things. We're able to do that with the content partitioning tools. And basically what these updates are, are just kind of little tweaks to make the, the content partitioning tools easier to use. So let's just roll, let's just roll through all four of them. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So number one, content and domain partitioning rules no longer need to be enabled via the manage tools using partitioning setting. The setting will no longer be available. Instead, the permissions will be enforced as soon as they are set in the content tools or the domain manager. Yep. Content right. tools or domain manager. That's where you're managing your settings. All right. That's all you need to know. We'll, we'll, we'll have them shorten that from <laughs> moving forward. All right. Number two, by default, all content and domains in a portal will be visible to everyone in the portal until partitioned. So previously unassigned contacts or unassigned content and domains were only visible to admins. All right. That's good. Yep. Pretty straightforward there. All right. Number three, to encourage the use of teams, an individual user can only be given access to a specific piece of content if it is already shared with at least one team. Easy. They're ramping up the use of teams. Yeah, I like use that. Teams. Use them. Yep. It makes it makes your life as the admin of this of this portal or an admin of a portal much easier. Oh yeah. All right. Last update of the last update. Members of parent teams can now assign content and domains to any of their child teams. Previously, this functionality was only available to admins. Child teams. Yes. There you go. Yeah. So this is like enterprise level stuff. So enterprise. You can do hierarchical teams, so you can have, you know, child teams within, you know, higher level teams. So now you don't have to be an, a super admin of the portal to be able to assign content. You can essentially be like at the manager level, like the higher level of a team. And then if you have a team under you, you can, you can assign content to that team. So they're beefing up content partitioning. They're, again, really beefing up the enterprise level tools, which we knew was going to be happening. And they're continuing to deliver just more and more features to that enterprise tool set, which is, you know, if you're on enterprise, pretty awesome. Nick, we're going to wrap it up here. Thanks for, thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. I know I had big shoes to fill, so I, I tried my best. Yeah, if you guys have, you know, any thoughts about how Nick and Marcus compare to each other, feel free to shoot me an email. Let me know. You know where to find me. Um, and otherwise, if you're listening on iTunes uh, or any other place you find podcasts, head on over and leave us a review. Head on over to the show notes and leave us comments. You can find them at impactbnd.com slash hubcast. Um, if you have things that you'd love to hear about on the Hubcast, shoot me an email, cduffy at impactbnd.com. And until next time, this is Karina Duffy and Nick Bennett saying to you, get out there and do some happy hub spotting.